0: Good morning, everyone. Please take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 5. John chapter 5, starting in verse 30 today. And Nick, I am a Packers fan, not a Bears fan. It's okay, and don't forget that. John chapter 5, verse 30. If you've been following along in our study, Jesus has just healed a lame man. And he did so on the Sabbath, and he's come under attack. And we began a discussion last week about Jesus' apology for his being attacked by the religious authorities. And now in verse 30, we conclude Jesus' response to those who are attacking him. Chapter 5, verse 30. Jesus continues, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear... I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. But I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If, if another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you've set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would have you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? May the Lord add his blessing at the hearing and the reading of his word this morning. So when you were in school, were you ever picked on? Did you ever get picked on? How many people got picked on in school? Oh man, a lot of people. I got really majorly picked on, uh, especially in my fifth, sixth, seventh grade years. Uh, I was the youngest of four, as I've told you several times, and I was kind of the runt of the of the litter, as it were. I was uh I was small. To kind of give you an idea my freshman year, I, I was on the wrestling team and I wrestled at the weight class of one oh five. I was a little guy, right? And I got picked on a lot. And one day a bunch of guys, probably around fifth, sixth grade, were they were out to get me, and uh, they were told me they were going to beat me up after school. And uh, if you're a, a little kid, you're, you're pretty concerned about that prospect. And sure enough, as I'm coming out the school doors, these kids are coming after me. And I remember literally running for my life. Uh, and I ran across the street at the corner where I knew my mom was picked to pick me up. And she had the, uh, the old... Uh, the woody-sided uh, station wagon back in the 70s, and, and I remember jumping in the backseat of the car and then sitting real low so nobody could see me. But that day, in my mind, my mom saved me <laughs> from these kids, these Thuglodites who were going to beat me up. We all are longing to be saved. In one sense or another, all of us are longing to be saved. Whether you've been saved by the bell, or someone has saved your neck, saved your hide, saved your skin, saved your bacon, or helped you to save face, you've been saved for another day, or you've been saved in the nick of time, we are all longing to be saved, and we're all in need of a Savior. But there is one calamity for which all of us need a Savior, in particular, sin, Sin is the ultimate calamity for us. Sin is what is destroying our world even as we speak. But the good news is that Jesus is our ultimate Savior. Jesus is the one who has the power and authority to eradicate sin because he, in fact, is precisely the Son of God. He is God incarnate, that is, God in the flesh. He is our ultimate Savior. In Christ, we are saved from the this evil world. We are saved from the evil one. We're saved from death, saved from our sin, saved from hell, ultimately saved from the very wrath of God. And personally, we are saved from even ourselves. He is the one who can deliver us. He is the one who can save us to the uttermost. The writer of Hebrews says, Consequently, He, that is Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. But how can we know for certain that He is the one who can save us? Can anyone in this room save the world? Is there anybody out there who can save it? Anybody, any of you? Can I? No. No, we need someone who can actually do the job. We need someone who has an eternal nature, who is thoroughly without sin, who has conquered death and sin once and for all and has a divine nature. He would have to be the one and only Son of God, that is Jesus. There's no one in this room that fits the bill. There's no one in this world that can make the difference. The whole point of Jesus' life is that he is the one who makes the difference. He's the very Son of God who brings about our salvation. The text we just read suggested that so that we may be saved, so that we may have life. As we'll see in our study today, we know that Jesus is the Son of God because Jesus fulfilled the will of his Father. We know that Jesus is the Son of God because John the Baptist's testimony is true, We know that Jesus is the Son of God because all his works were miraculous, and we know that Jesus is the Son of God because the entire Bible points to Jesus. Our message series is that you may believe. Today our focus is that you may be saved. This is John's gospel written by John, not to be confused with John the Baptist who we'll be talking about today a little bit. But this is John's gospel, perhaps the very best friend of Jesus while Jesus ministered on earth. A young man who wrote this intimate, detailed account of the actual life of Christ as a personal eyewitness. In John 5.18, just a few weeks ago, we saw what the problem the authorities had with Jesus. What was that problem They said this, he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. At which point, all Jesus had to say was, Oh, I'm sorry you misunderstood. I'm not really God. No, Jesus never shrinks back from that motif. Matter of fact, he steps into it and says, Yeah, that's right. I am the Son of God, I am equal with the Father. In this passage, Jesus continues his apology, his defense for who he is as the Son of God, the very one who takes away the sins of the world. But before we study, let's ask God's help. Would you please pray with me? Our gracious heavenly fathers, we turn turn to your word this morning. We're longing to have access to truth, truth about who you are and what you have said. And so, Lord, we cry out to you and ask that you would move in our midst, that you'd move in our hearts that we might be drawn closer to you, that we might understand who, in fact, you are. Lord, all of us in this room need to be saved. Some of us are trying to save ourselves. Lord, we need you. We need you to save us. Help us to understand that today, that you are, in fact, the Savior of the world, the Son of God. Lord, bless our study. Thank you, Lord, for your presence here through the power of your spirit, through your word. Be our teacher, be our guide, we ask. We pray this in your son's wonderful and awesome name, amen. If you have your sermon notes outlined, here's the first truth in our study. We know that Jesus is the son of God, first of all, because Jesus fulfilled the will of his father. Notice what it said in verse 30. Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. Why? Because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus has always been about fulfilling what God had called him to do, God the Father. In Matthew 5.17, Jesus says to the disciples and the crowds that were gathered at the Sermon on the Mount, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. Uh, Jesus saying, I, I didn't come to smash the law or get rid of the law. No, I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. He's always been about God's will. He's always been about what God has to say. He's been... Always about doing what he has ordained. He is God's son. He is God in the flesh. He has come not to throw the law out, but to fulfill it. Not an iota, not a dot, not a jot or a tittle, a yod, which is the smallest Hebrew letter, or a tilde, which is the smallest mark in the Hebrew language. I came to fulfill it all. That's what I'm about. In Luke 22, when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he went to the cross, he's up all night praying. It says in 41, and he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus was determined to do everything that was required of him by his heavenly Father, Not in a partial sense, but in a complete and perfect sense. He came to fulfill the law and do all that his Father's will required. And that is exactly what he did. That's what the text says. Because I seek my own will, but I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Now, if you were to ask everybody in this room, how are you doing on fulfilling God's will? Uh, Not so good. Anybody else on the planet can fit the bill? No. But Jesus did at every point, at every place. We know that Jesus is the Son of God because he fulfilled his Father's will. But secondly, we know that Jesus is the Son of God because John the Baptist's testimony is true. First of all here, John witnessed Jesus' life personally. And Jesus acknowledges this. Verse 31, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There's another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Jesus starts out with this discussion in verse 31. If I alone bear witness about myself, he understands the problem of circular reasoning. Jesus understands the intellectual problem of a self attesting statement God exists because God says so, or God's word is true because God's word says it's true. Again, we kind of go, I don't really follow your argument here. And Jesus recognized: if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. But there are other witnesses we should consider. You sent to John, and he's born witness to the truth. John witnessed Jesus' life personally. Nevertheless, we need to believe the testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because of this eyewitness account from John the Baptist. You recall in John 1.29, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we go, well, how does John know that? How come other people aren't going, well, there he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin? No, only John had that one. A few verses later, after John says that, we're told, and John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove. And it remained on him. I myself did not know him. He wasn't sure at first. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I've seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. John the Baptist knows who Jesus is. Why? Because God showed him who he was, that he is, in fact, the Son of God. That's a pretty remarkable testimony. Again, it's one thing for us to try to vindicate ourselves. I remember years ago, I was uh, working at a racquetball club, and uh, we only took uh, credit cards and cash because uh, the owner of this racquetball club got ripped off a few times with people writing personal checks. And this guy, you know, he's gonna, he starts writing me a check for his court fees, and I go, I'm sorry, we don't, we don't take checks. And the guy goes, oh, it's okay, I'll vouch for it. we don't really care that you'll vouch for it. See, we don't listen to that, do we? Jesus is not really going to vouch for himself here. He's going to let others do the work, i.e., John the Baptist vouches for him. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John witnessed Jesus' life personally. But secondly, John's testimony brought salvation. In verse 34, it says, Not that the testimony that I receive is from man. In other words, Jesus understands that, you know, it's really not about what other men say about me, but John the Baptist has special credentials. But I say these things so that you may be saved. I'm giving you the testimony of John the Baptist so you can be saved, because that's what John the Baptist's whole life was about. It was about bringing about salvation. John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, prophesied regarding his own son John the Baptist after he saw a vision in the temple. In Luke 1:76 we see Zachariah's prophecy and you child will be called the prophet of the most high. That's who John the Baptist was. He was the prophet prophet of the most high. Who's the most high? Jesus is. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his way. For what purpose? To give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. I'm giving you this information about John vouching for me so that you could be saved because that's what John's ministry is completely about, to give knowledge of salvation. And this is exactly what John the Baptist did. He offered salvation through the forgiveness of sins. In Mark 1, 4 through 5, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. That is our ultimate problem. I mentioned it earlier. It's sin. We need someone to deal with it. That's Jesus. And here's John the Baptist saying, that's the one. That's the guy. The very Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John's testimony brought salvation. But thirdly here, John's testimony brought light. Verse 34, Jesus goes on. He was a burning and shining lamp. John the Baptist was a burning and shining lamp. And you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. You all enjoyed that for a few minutes when John showed up. Matter of fact, all of Jerusalem's going out to him. The scripture says that John's testimony was so amazing that all Jerusalem was going out to the wilderness to be baptized. And so much so, the authorities of Jerusalem were like, hey, what's going on with this guy? And he went out to interrogate him. Of course, Zechariah prophesied about this too. John's own father said, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. John testified that Jesus would bring light and peace. Why? Because that's who Jesus is. Jesus himself says, I am the light of the world. Are you longing for peace in your life? There's no other place to find it other than in Christ. That's it. John's testimony brought light, but not only that, John's testimony brought joy. Verse 35 again, he was a burning and shining lamp and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. I mean, you all thought it was pretty awesome when John showed up. Luke 1:13 through 16 is the prophecy about That was his whole purpose, was to turn everyone to Christ. John's testimony brought joy. Christ is where the joy is at. John's testimony brought light. John's testimony brought salvation. John witnessed Jesus' life personally. He's not some guy who shows up and starts talking about things. He saw Jesus personally. That's who he is. Jesus says in John 3, 28, you yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete, John the Baptist says. He must increase, but I must decrease. Isn't it true that whenever we finally hear good news, we are relieved? We're relieved when we hear that the surgery went well or that no one was hurt in the accident or when we learn that the tumor isn't cancerous or when the mortgage finally goes through, when we finally pass the class, when we finally receive the diploma or we finally drive off the lot with the new car or pass the driving exam or we finally hear the cry of a newly born baby. John's John's testimony about Jesus brought about joy. Finally, the Savior is here. It's all going to be all right. It's all going to be okay. That's who Jesus is to us. He's the joy bringer. Thirdly, here today, we know that Jesus is the Son of God because all of his works were miraculous. Look at verse 36. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. So yeah, John the Baptist witnesses who I am. He's a witness. He saw my life firsthand. But I've got another testimony about who I am, Jesus says, one that's greater than John's testimony. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And you can kind of wonder what work is he referring to here? Well, he just healed a lame guy, a guy who couldn't walk, and now he's walking. Have you noticed the work? There's a guy who couldn't walk who's walking now? These are the works that the Father's given me. In John 3, Nicodemus recognized that there was something special about Jesus because of the things he was hearing about Jesus. In John 3, 2, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. Up to this point, Jesus only turned the water into wine up in Cana, and only a few individuals witnessed that miracle, but word was getting out, and then Jesus had cleansed the temple, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him, Nicodemus says. At one point toward the end of John the Baptist's ministry, even he despaired about who Jesus was for a moment, because things were going so well. You ever despaired? And John sent messengers to Jesus saying, hey, are you the guy? Are you what we're waiting for? Matthew eleven two 2 through 5, now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Can you imagine John's desperation at this point? He's in prison. Things aren't going well. He hasn't had good news for a bit. And it looks like maybe this is, It's over. And so he sends a message to Jesus. Hey, are you the real deal or not? Can I really count on you or not? What's Jesus saying? Jesus responds. And Jesus answered them in verse 4. Go and tell John that what you see and hear. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. Beloved, all of us are longing for good news. All of us are longing for a good word, something of encouragement. Sometimes we come to this place where we are despairing. and We wonder, God, are you actually there? Are you going to make any difference? Where is the Savior? Where is my redemption? I'd like to remind you that Jesus still has you. He's not letting go. Jesus is precisely in the miracle-working business. Will you yet trust him for what he can do in your situation? All of his works were miraculous. He is sufficient in all things. But lastly, today, we know that Jesus is the Son of God because the entire Bible points to Jesus. I'd like to remind you the Old Testament proclaims, Here he comes. The New Testament says, Here he is. It's not very complicated. You want to go, I wonder what the Bible's about. Well, let me tell you, okay? Two, there's the two-parter. First part, here he comes. Second part, here he is. First of all here, God's word needs to abide in us. In verse 37, it says, And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me, his voice you've never heard, his form you've never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. Our problem is we have access to the word, but we're not allowing it to abide in us. Because if it did, then we would have hope. If we were allowing his truth to permeate our very being, we wouldn't be without peace. We'd have access to peace. Doesn't mean we're not going to have difficulty. We're going to have difficulty. We're going to have problems. Welcome to life. Welcome to a, a fallen world. But with access to his word abiding in you, we now have the strength, the power, the information we need to overcome the world. We know that Jesus is the Son of God because the entire Bible points to Jesus. Are you abiding in his word? The Bible. Now, by the way, throughout this last portion of this whole defense that Jesus is making in John 5. There are several indictments that Jesus is making against those who are challenging him. And here was the first one. You do not have his word abiding in you. And so the challenge, by way of a point, is maybe we should make sure God's word is abiding in us. 1 John 5.10. Jesus says, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Do you have the testimony of Christ Within you, whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. Any questions? This is not complicated. The entire Bible points to Jesus. Is his word abiding in you? Secondly, though, We need to believe the scriptures about Jesus. Jesus puts forward the next statement in verse at the end of 38 For you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. You you don't believe the one who, who he sent. You're not believing in me. That's the problem recall on the road to Emmaus, after the resurrection, Jesus is walking along with a couple guys who didn't recognize him. People go, well, how come they didn't recognize him? I'm pretty sure they were there. They saw the crucifixion. They saw how dead Jesus was. And you just really, you know, after you see a dead person, you don't expect to, you know, find them on the way walking anywhere. You don't expect to see the dead person, you know, at the mall, or at the restaurant, or anywhere. You don't expect to see a dead person walking around, so they don't recognize him. One of my favorite lines in that whole passage, as he's walking along, listen to them, and he asks them a question. So, you know, basically, what are you talking about? Well, didn't you hear about what happened, you know, with Jesus? And Jesus is, what things, you know, what? (laughs) Just begging, I mean, it's a hilarious question. He's, he's Jesus well it's about Jesus the Christ how could you be in Jerusalem and not know anything about this yeah well I know Just testing you just checking you out at the very end he pops the lid and reveals himself to him notice the response when this happens He said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. All the prophets? Yeah, that's the Old Testament. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What's the whole Old Testament about? Jesus. Oh, he was talking about something else? No, that's it. Entire, the entire Bible points to Jesus. God's word needs to abide in us. We need to believe the scriptures about Jesus. But thirdly here, we need to come to Jesus. And this is the third indictment. Verse 40, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Stop refusing him. How many times have you been invited to come? And he said, later. Later. Not right now. I, I, I got stuff I want to do. Do you want to find your life? Jesus says in Matthew 11, "Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Remember that peace we're talking about? That's where the, the peace is. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lonely and hard, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Won't you come? Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Here's Jesus going, look, I've got life for you. Come on. No, I don't think so. I got a different way of doing this. How's it working for you? Probably not very well. In Revelation, the spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Come that the one who desires to take the water of life without price. Oh, won't you come? Come to me, Jesus says. We need to come to Jesus. But fourthly here, we need to seek after the glory of God. It's very easy for us to seek glory from each other, or glory just for ourselves. Jesus goes on in verse 31, I do not receive glory from people. That's not why I'm here. But I know that you do not have the love of God within you, I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Fourth indictment, you do not have the love of God within you. Why? If you did, if you had the love of God within you, you would have received me by now. The problem is we're often seeking after the wrong things, aren't we? but we need to seek after the glory of God. John 1.14, the very beginning of our study, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This has been the premise from John's gospel from the very beginning. We're talking about Jesus, who demonstrates the glory of God. Recall the transfiguration. Peter, James, and John saw Jesus' glory firsthand in Luke 9, now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter, John, and James and went up to the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with them And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is so good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. He's the son of God. Oh, that's right. We can know a certainty that he is. Fifthly here, we need to place our hope in Jesus. Again, we're glorying in in the wrong thing, and we have placed our hope in the wrong things. Verse 45, do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There's one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you've set your hope. You're hoping in the wrong guy. You need to be hoping in me, Jesus is saying. What are you hoping in? There are many people who place their hope in the wrong things. There just are. So every year Kathy and I go down to Ohio for a few days about this time of year to go to the great Greenville, Ohio County Fair. And I get a few days away there's uh, Thursday night, Friday, and Saturday, and I hustle back here to be here for you. And uh, I like to golf, and so uh, if I get a chance, I'll go sneak off and play nine holes or whatever. And It's kind of nice because it's not a very busy golf course down there. Usually I can get off and play nine holes pretty quickly. And I thought, well, you know, I'm going to go out Saturday morning and play a quick round of golf and work on my game because my game needs a lot of work. Uh, there's a few in the room who understand this problem I have. Not a, not a very good golfer, at the least. And, and so I called the club pretty early to see if I could get a tee time pretty early because I wanted to kind of get it out of the way early in the day yesterday. And so I call them up, and they said they're pretty busy, but, yeah, we could squeeze me in. And so, okay, great. And so I end up out there at around uh, 8.40. I'm going to play nine holes. And there's a big group out in front of me, and they're going super slow. And then another single goes in front of me, and then I go out by myself. I don't mind being a single because I can kind of think and pray and just kind of enjoy chasing my bad shots around, having a nice time. And uh, after a couple holes, it's really getting backed up, and there's a big group coming behind us, and now we're getting squished. And the guy in front of me, because we're kind of in line in the queue for the next hole, he says, oh, hey, maybe we should just play together. You want to, is, that, is that okay? I said, sure. And, well, I'm Brad. He goes, oh, I'm Dan. So Now, now I looked at Dan's cart, and I noticed um, that in his cart, there were already three Bud Light cans empty. Now, initially, again, to the benefit of the doubt, I thought maybe, maybe that was like somebody didn't clean out the cart from yesterday or something. I found out later that that wasn't the case. Did I mention it's 8.40? We've already nailed three cans of bud. And it's always kind of fun for me as I'm talking to people from time to time, especially on a golf course or a kind of a setting where people aren't expecting it. You, you, you talk and find out about each other and it finally comes out that I'm a pastor and you're know, like, oh no. <laughs> I'm like you know don't change your language on my account you don't answer to me we answer to someone else don't we we start talking about things and i'm trying to find out what he's about he's trying to figure out what the pastor doing playing golf so badly uh, we're having a good time and uh, he's, he's 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 hammering the sauce blah blah, blah. he's smoking Swearing, except after he found out I was a pastor, he quit the swearing part. Okay, so clean that up a little bit. And uh, as we're talking, uh, he finally goes, "Well, you know, I'm a true believer," he says. Okay, if you say so. Well, I just, I, but I, I just, I can't find a church that believes the way I believe like, well, yeah, I could see that. So, you know, we make the turn on the sixth hole, and he orders when the cart comes by with the gal selling more stuff, he orders three more. I mean, in less than an hour and a half, he's, he's nailed six cans of beer. I think he's flying pretty good. pointed out to him, you know, he said he couldn't find a church. I said, well, I know of a church here in town. It's an excellent church. My, my daughter goes to that church. And I know the pastor personally. He's a really good guy. He's the real deal. And you know what? He preaches the word of God, which is what we all need. Talked to him a little bit about his Lutheran background, about how we are saved by grace through faith. But this guy's hoping in the wrong things. He's got his own idea about what salvation is. and Well, I'm a true believer. I'm like, I want to go, a believer in what, sir? How does this work? What are you going to do? So anyway, uh, by the end of it, he was bragging to people back at the clubhouse that, oh, I got to golf with the pastor today. Uh, Again, I don't know if you meant that or if that was the beer talking. I'm not sure. We need to place our hope in Jesus. This guy had his hope in the wrong things, clearly. Lastly, beloved, we need to believe all that Jesus has to say. Jesus concludes his defense this way. For if you believe Moses, you would have believed me. In other words, if you, would have, if you guys believe the Old Testament, you should, have be, you should be believing me. For he wrote of me, you guys. But if you don't believe his writings, if you really don't believe that this is God's word or that it speaks of me, then how will you believe my words? Well, if you're not going to believe what Moses has to say about me, how are you going to believe anything I tell you? Sixth indictment. How will you believe my words? That you might be saved. You know, I love my mom, and I'm very thankful that she doesn't have to save me so often very much anymore from people who want to beat me up. And the reason I don't need her so much is because all I really need is Jesus. He is my ultimate Savior, and because I know that he is indeed God's Son, I know he has saved me to the uttermost. Beloved, we know that Jesus is the Son of God because Jesus fulfilled the will of his Father. We know that Jesus is the Son of God because John the Baptist's testimony is true. John witnessed Jesus personally. John's testimony brought salvation. John's testimony brought light. John's testimony brought joy. We know that Jesus is the Son of God because his works were miraculous. We know that Jesus is the Son of God because the entire Bible points to Jesus. God's word needs to abide in us. We need to believe the scriptures about Jesus. We need to come to Jesus. We need to seek after the glory of God. We need to place our hope in Jesus. We need to believe all that he has to say. Where are you in all this? Are you you out there saying, well, I'm a true believer, and nothing has changed? How'd you do with the indictments? You do not have the word abiding in you. You do not believe the one whom he has sent. You refuse to come to me. You do not have the love of God with you, within you. You set your hope in the wrong things. How will you believe my words? Would you please stand as we close the service? Lord, as we go before you and contemplate these things, it's very easy for us in our own arrogance to think that we got it figured out. We got it sorted. I know what I'm doing. And Lord, nothing could be further from the truth. We don't know what we're doing at all. Lord, help us to come to a place to recognize how lost we are. The man on the golf course didn't even know how lost he was. Lord, help us to understand how desperately we need you. Lord, help us in our unbelief. Lord, may it be true that we are found abiding in your word, believing in you, the one whom you sent. Lord, may we not refuse to come to you. May we clearly come to you now. Lord, through that, may your love be in us. The very love of God, which you so long to pour out in our hearts and lives. Lord, may it be that we haven't put our hope in the wrong things, the things in this world that will be consumed one day, but may we put our faith and trust in you and wait on you for your good pleasure, believing everything that Jesus had to say. Lord, it's possible that there's someone here who hasn't come, and that is my ultimate prayer today, that they might come that they might be saved, that they might have life. Lord, may that be the case for everyone in this room that we have come, that we've been saved. So, Lord, continue to work your will in our hearts and our lives. And for those who desperately need you, Lord, I pray that even now we would turn to you afresh and anew, encouraged. Knowing that you have a plan for us, knowing that you've got us, that you'll never let us go, even in the midst of our despair, you are there and you've got it. So, thank you. Thank you for your word. Burn these truths into our hearts that we might not just hear them, but we might walk in them in reality. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for all that you've done for us. Thank you for your word. Help us to come. We pray all this in your son's wonderful and awesome name. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you so much for coming. Have a fantastic week.